to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. Of course, you can call me Gregory. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. I hope you're doing well today. Before we begin talking about something that might be a little contentious, of course, the website is Naturopathic Earth. If you're listening to this podcast feed because you want to lose weight, you definitely need to go to my website because I have a series called How I Lost Over 100 Pounds and Kept It Off for 25 Years. I have an eight excerpt blog series. You need to read that, seriously. Plus, there's 150 or so paleo-inspired healthy recipes that I have concocted and tried out, and they're all very healthy for you, so trying those out would probably behoove you and would help you lose the weight or maintain the weight or maintain optimal health. Also, there's numerous articles I write that have nothing to do with what I talk about on Holistic Health News, the main flagship podcast, and on confessions. So for example, there's at least 40 articles on natural remedies for stuff. Natural remedies for constipation, natural remedies for ear infections, natural remedies for diarrhea, natural remedies for sinus infections. I also have articles that are more naturopathic in mentality, which shouldn't be too surprising given the website's name, but I don't really talk about a lot about naturopathic kind of principles. But uh, there's definitely articles on certain herbs and spices and how they can be used across the gamut of holistic health and naturopathy. So I have one on garlic, I have one on cinnamon and so forth. I have one on spirulina. So go check all those articles out. Contribute to our Patreon account. It's patreon.com forward slash naturopathic earth. Click on the link from the episode notes. Donate money. We need it. Donate it please. Also buy the famous, soon to be super famous, Confessions of an Obese Child memoir, my ebook. You can buy it on Amazon Kindle or Barnes & Noble Nook. I know people don't use Nook, but for whatever reason, I have a lot more reviews on Nook. So go to bnn.com and search Confessions, and you can read some of the reviews, and they're, they're all pretty positive, which is great. I'm glad people get stuff out of my uh, my history, my background. I'm glad it, it helps people. And lastly, I'm a paleo-inspired holistic wellness coach. So if you need help losing weight or keeping it off, contact me through the website or through social media. I'm Albert Gregory on Facebook, Holistic News Now on Instagram and Twitter. Now, I get a lot of Facebook friend requests every day probably about 20 to 25. But the issue is I don't know who you are. You could be a 14-year-old Pakistani you could be just someone who wants to friend me because I have something like 3,000 friends. And then as soon as I've said yes to your friend request, I get the like my page. That drives me freaking crazy. As soon as I send the yes to request a friend uh, or accept their friendship, like, like my page, fill in the blank, blah, blah, blah. I feel so used. I feel like a dirty whore when you do that, guys. Don't do that. So if you're trying to friend request me because you've heard about the podcast, Send me a little message and just say, hey, Greg, uh, you know, love your podcast. Like to be Facebook friends. I'll Facebook friend you. But you need to say, you need to write something because I do get a lot of friend requests. And I'm not prone to just 
accept everybody's friend request because a lot of these are just spam and bots and just just crap um, profiles. Before we begin talking about how it's our fault that we got fat, the early confessions, if you listen to the first 20 or 25 where I talk about my childhood experiences and my bullying and the, and the traumatic things that happened to me, I did talk and I would expound a lot about pop culture. And I noticed on the last 20, 25, I really don't do that. But I do want to comment on a couple of things that are going on right now. Avengers Endgame, don't give a damn about it. I'm 45. I do not understand adults who are into Avengers. I just don't get it. I, don't, I mean, the, these, these plot lines are so hackneyed. It's always the same. Superhero finds their power. Superhero learns to master their power. There is a bad guy. Okay, then there's a big fight that destroys half of a town at the end. Bad guy dies. Good guy never dies. Rinse, lather, repeat 20 movies. That's pretty much it. And I don't I don't understand it. Uh, I really don't understand it. It's kind of like gamers, 45-year-old gamers. I don't get it, man. You need to grow up. I hate I hate to tell you this, man, but you need to grow up. I just it's like it's a stunted stunted adolescence. So, I mean, look, if you if you're going to take your kid and you get entertainment out of it, that's fine. Like I saw Infinity Wars on Netflix. And like I thought it was all right, you know. I mean, I knew what was going to happen, how half of them were going to evaporate, but I knew at the end that they were all going to come back probably in the next movie, right? That's the problem with these movies, is that if you really want them to be good, make them Shakespearean and kill kill a lot of people. Then the people are invested. But there's no suspense when you know that the main guy or girl is going to live. There's no suspense. And this this is what Hollywood is now. The era of the $40 million movie is gone. That era... Where I grew up in the 80s and 90s, that was prime movie real estate. Now, every movie now has got to be franchise, Disney intellectual property. You know, it's got to be Star Wars. It's got to be Marvel. It's got to be DC. It's got to be a rehash of an older franchise like the Jurassic movies. It's all action movies. And there's no spot for the $40 million rom-com or the $40 million sports movie. Think of like Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, My Best Friend's Wedding. You know, these these movies that are iconic would never be made now because they just don't make money. Now they're being made on Netflix or on Amazon. So if you look at like, To All the Boys I Loved Before Netflix, that movie did very well. It's, it's kind of a new quintessential John Hughes movie. And that's where these movies have to find their place. And so if you are a guy or a girl who likes more of the artsy movies, the artsy movies, and likes the Oscar movies, you're kind of screwed because if you go to the movie theater now, uh, it's all this action crap. And look, when I was in high school, I remember that's when the Michael Keaton Batman movies came out. And I was like, yeah, these are awesome. Yeah, yeah. So look, the older you get, you get a little more discernment. But from a middle-aged man... I lament the fact that the only movies that you see really now at the Cineplex are just crap horror movies and crap action movies. Also, Game of Thrones, season eight. While we're recording this, I think episode four just happened, the one after the Battle of Winterfell. So I can't comment on that because I'm video. I'm recording this on the Friday uh, before episode four. Battle of Winterfell is awesome. Visually, it was awesome. I did find I did find some issues with it. Now, this is not a spoiler, so if you listen to this, uh, you might want to close your ears. But Arya being the the killer of the, of the Night King, no problem with that. I mean, that is perfect, perfect plot development and character development. It pays off all her years of having to deal with her over in Essos and all that boring plot line. 
second most boring plot line behind Danny spending five freaking years in Essos getting her army. And oh my God, I was just like, just get to Westeros for Christ's sake. I think Danny is one of the most overrated characters. Now, the women are going to get offended by that because they love Danny because she's strong, feminist, blah, blah, blah. Danny is a narcissistic, selfish woman who uses men. Dario, Jorah is the perfect example. Jorah, you almost deserved to die being the the beta simp to this girl for years who blew you off. Let's just be friends. Let's just be friends. He should have said, all right, peace out. You don't want me? I am a good-looking warrior. See you later. But he's like, oh, I'll save you. I'll save you, Danny. And now he's dead. He wouldn't have been dead. Okay, so you almost deserve to die, Jorah, for being such a beta simp. Come on. But Arya, yeah, I, I had no problem with that. And like, uh, just who else could have done it really who else could have done it i mean she they developed her assassin skills throughout the the many many seasons for this payoff this investment so i didn't really have a problem with that bran is boring as hell uh oh my god uh you know Tyrion hasn't really done much this year but my other my other takeaway in the battle of winterfell aside from it being very artistically beautiful was I, I love it how no none of the major characters died, right? Like the the, the previous episode, I was like, uh, me, my friend Kim and I, we had this, like this death list of who we thought the top five were going to die in this episode because we thought they were going to wipe out at least six, seven major characters, right? Who who died? Nobody important. Okay, now now they killed uh, Theon, major character. They killed Jorah, major character. But the funny thing is, if you guys have seen this episode, at the end when John's walking through to try to get to the Night King. He, he pans to his left, and he sees Sam overrun. I mean, literally, there's like a mountain of whites on this guy. He doesn't die somehow, and Sam can't even fight. Then, then he pans over, and he sees, he sees Jamie and Brienne, same thing, the hound. All these guys overwhelmed, but none of them get stabbed and die. I mean, come on. They better have a humongous payoff. They better kill off at least half of these people by the end. If not, it's just it's just not going to be a payoff. That being said, Game of Thrones, of course, is the world's zeitgeist show, and it's an incredible show. But you know, the last two seasons, if you go back to the episode I did with Kate, oh, it must have been one of our Q&As early on. We, we really kind of broke down season seven and some of the issues I had with it. All right, let's get to it. Okay, so today we're going to talk about something that's a little controversial. And you don't have to agree with me, of course. I think uh, we have to blame ourselves for being fat. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, that's pretty much uh, what, I, what I have to say. That's the end of the episode. If you go post a review. Now, uh, let me expound upon this. I think that we find it convenient and we find it easy to make excuses as to why we are overweight or we were overweight. Here in San Antonio, 70% of the population is morbidly overweight or overweight. Uh, it's a major problem. It's a Hispanic, large Hispanic town. Therefore, they have a propensity for diabetes. And I think a lot of people 
don't want to take accountability for being overweight. They'll say, and they'll come up with a host of rationalizations because we humans can rationalize everything, right? Everything. We can rationalize every heinous uh, behavior that we do. And so I think that you see a lot of people rationalize why they're overweight, right? They'll say, oh, my father did this, or my mother did this. No, 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 no. I mean, this would be people who actually have introspection and self-awareness. I think a lot of people don't even make that connection. Like, oh, my father molested me. Oh, my mother hit me. Oh, you know, I was, uh, you know, abused. Oh, uh, you know, I was picked on at school. Or, you know, with 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 some women, right? Uh, you know, I was... I was in college and I got uh, date raped or sexually assaulted. And because of that, internally, uh, self-consciously, I, or subconsciously, I started gaining weight because I didn't want to be found attractive by men because I didn't want to be risk getting sexually assaulted or date raped again, okay? And I'm not saying none of these are legitimate, but I think if you talk to the typical person who's overweight, first of all, they, they don't want to acknowledge they're overweight, right? We all want to think that we look better than we do. I think if you if you go back to the early confessions episodes, uh, it's not like when I was binge eating. Uh, go back to those episodes, like episode ooh, eight, eight nine. It's not like if when I was you know stealing money from my mom and walking to McDonald's and working at a convenience store for free just to get the free food. If if any of you are new to confessions, definitely go to those early episodes because they're pretty funny. It's not like if somebody came up to me when I was at the all you can eat buffets. And said, hey, hey, fat Albert, you're fat. You need to stop eating. Uh, I would have said, oh, you know, you're right. You're you're right, Homer. I need to stop eating right now. I'm going to stop. Right? Uh, we rationalize. We, we would internalize. We would, of course, ma- either make a joke or get offended. And then we would just use that to fuel the, the more binge eating we would do. Because it kind of breaks our charade our self-delusion that we have that either we're not overweight or we are better looking or nicer than we are i mean i've i've written an article there's a you know very fine line between confidence and self-delusion very fine line uh we can all think that we're good people or that we're successful whatever that definition of the word successful means or we make enough money and certainly compared to the 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 Sherpa in Nepal or the poor African who lives in the Central African Republic who lives in a hut next to his ox and has no running water, certainly every American is doing very well. But we are apt to compare ourselves to other people around us. And so I think there's many times in our mind we, we, are, we say, oh, you know, we're good people. Oh, or I'm good looking. Oh, I'm nice. Oh, or I'm successful. And then something comes and shatters that. It's not like when, when somebody shatters that, we're like, oh, my God, you know, you're right. I am, I am a horrible person. It's, there's this cognitive dissonance that, that hits us. And so lots of times when, when something like that happens, uh, some people with good introspective skills will sit back and like, man, I have been deluding myself. So it, there's this fine line between confidence and good self-esteem and self-delusion because we don't want to self-loathe how horrible we are at the time because there's nothing constructive that comes out of that. But at the same time, self-delusion is bad because it makes us complacent. It makes us complacent. Oh, I am a good person. Or, oh, I make enough money. Or, oh, I am a good husband. Or, I am a good wife. And maybe you're not. And maybe if it, if you hit rock bottom and you realize that you weren't, maybe from there there would be growth. 
there would be growth. And then now you would truly be able to say that you are a good person or you are better looking or a good husband or so forth. So I just think it's funny how we can just walk through the day having this this self-deluded mentality about ourselves. But going back, I think a lot of people make excuses for being overweight instead of just being honest. And I think if we use the example of blaming past experiences, it's easy to use that as a crutch, right? It's a crutch. Oh, I can't control it. My father beat me. Or my father was an alcoholic. Certainly, these these are legitimate, traumatic things that happen to you. And I'm sorry that they happen to you. They're horrible. But the problem with using that as a crutch is, again, there's no self-growth. There's no gain. There's going to be no weight loss. Uh, because we're just sitting back and using that as an excuse to numb the pain by continuing to eat poorly. If overweight people were honest with themselves, and it's very difficult to be honest with yourself about it, but if we were honest about ourselves, we could say, yeah, I'm fat because I eat too much. But in this politically charged, snowflake, politically correct culture, if somebody says that or twi- tweets that, oh my God, the, the Twitter mobs would come after them. The left-wing Twitter mobs, the fill-in-the-blank shaming people, right? The, the slut-shaming, the fat-shaming, the fill-in-the-blank shaming people would, would come out and attack. And that's what they would do, right? You're fat-shaming. You're fat-shaming. You're fat-shaming. Look. We have that episode on fat shaming, whether or not fat shaming is good or bad for you. And I would fall on the, on the side that, of course, fat shaming is horrible. But body positive movement is even worse because the body positive movement keeps overweight people overweight. And it, it allows overweight people to use as a crutch that they're overweight. And it, it prevents them from actually losing weight. Because if you really care about overweight people, you would tell them to lose the weight. Because, again, every objective statistical health indicator will tell you if you're overweight, you're going to die young. You're going to get diabetes. You're going to get cancer. You're going to get heart disease and all these other problems. So you need to lose the weight. So the body positive movement is horrible. It's a horrible crutch. But I think... It takes a lot for somebody to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I am overweight because I eat too much. Yes, I am overweight because I emotionally eat. Yes, I am overweight because I'm a lazy person who doesn't like to work out. Yes, I'm overweight because I drink too much beer, drink too much alcohol. I eat too much sugar. Yes, I'm overweight because I drink too much soda and I deserve it. It's very hard for people to say that. Yeah, I am fat, and I deserve to be fat because I treat like my, my body like sheetrock, right? But this is honestly what needs to be said, because in the long run, rationalizing and blaming other people, either your past or you have a thyroid problem, which is statistically a very small amount of overweight people have a thyroid problem, uh, it doesn't help you in the long run. It, it doesn't help you. And then, you know, there's the other there's the other people I would call them the orthorexic eat clean people who know what's going on with our food, who know that there's hormone disruptors in it, who know that they put food additives that are essentially obesogenic like uh, high fructose corn syrup. Studies have shown that it, that leads to obesity. There's something in the corn that makes us store more fat. MSG, of course, and all of its sister chemicals, those are addictive salt additives. Those are put in foods to make us more addicted to food. 
That's why it's very hard not to eat an entire bag of chips. Or go to a restaurant and not eat your whole plate because they put MSGs in, in, in restaurant and fast food. And so these people who are in the know, who've been woke about our food, they will say, well, look, there's nothing we can do about it. They put in these additives. Uh, big, big advertising is throwing food porn at us every day for Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. We can't resist that these additives are making us fat. They want us to get fat. The medications we're on cause us to get fat, like antidepressants and birth control. There's nothing we can do. It's hopeless. It's big business's fault. Again, it's a crutch. Yes, it's all true. Big business wants us to be fat. There's profit to be made from us being fat, right? If we are in a chronic state of disease, there's much more money that big food, big medicine, and essentially big healthcare makes from us than if we're healthy, for sure. But again, that is a crutch. You could go paleo. You could get off the sodas. You could get off your Starbucks with all its fake creamers and just drink black coffee. You could get off fast food and all the MSG foods and just eat lean meats and produce and, you know, dark chocolate and eggs or whatever. You can do that. So again, we as humans, our nature is that we want to make excuses for things. But making excuses for things doesn't help us. It doesn't help us. Just like, you know, sometimes like with teachers, I love teachers to death. It's a noble profession. But I would say this, I get tired of teachers who complain about the pay. Nobody put a gun to your freaking head to make you a teacher. Okay, You signed up to be a teacher. If you don't like the pay, get out. Would I like to get out of teaching? Yes, because the pay is crap. And yes, I want to make more money. Of course. But I at least make the acknowledgement that it is true. I don't fall on this martyr mentality that some teachers do, or other people do. The martyr mentality is, is another problem, right? Oh, I'm just going to sacrifice myself. Uh, you know, you see housewives doing this, right? Oh, I'm just going to sacrifice myself for my kids. I'm going to make it all about my kids. I'm just going to neglect my husband. Just make it all my kids. Or, you know, if husbands do it, oh, I'm just going to work all the time to sacrifice it for my kids. Da, 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 da. These are all crutch coping mechanisms. I was fat because I overate. I'm the only one that is putting food in my mouth. I have no one is shoving food down my mouth. I'm the one who put food in my mouth to make me become morbidly overweight. If you are overweight, you are the only one that's putting the food and the alcohol and the sodas and the drugs or whatever you're doing that is making you overweight. Take accountability because once you take accountability, you can grow from there. You can't grow if you stay in a constant state of denial, not to mention you're going to keep gaining weight. You're going to keep gaining weight. It is much better to say, yes, I'm fat. It's my fault that I'm fat because I am not working out and I'm eating sheetrock. Okay, Because that is a big first step. Now, some people are going to be upset with this like, oh, but food is an addiction. Food, food, food disorder is addiction. Like alcoholism is an addiction. So yes, we are the only ones putting the food in our gullet, right? in, our, in our pie hole. Right, but what are the factors lining us lining up to make us more predisposed to overeating? Certainly, as I've already mentioned, there's many. The food porn, 
all the commercials, past traumatic experiences, dysfunctional interfamilial dynamics. Uh, there's a host of things that are making us put food in our gullet more than we should. But does that make you less accountable? No. And it's not like you can ever sue big food or if big food's going to issue an apology. Oh, we're so sorry for running these constant Taco Bell ads to elicit you to go buy Taco Bell. Oh, we're going to pay you like reparations for it. They're never going to do that. Ultimately, we are responsible for what we do to our body. This can apply to alcoholics, meth addicts, people hooked on Vicodin, sex addicts, people in codependent relationships. We have to be accountable. As long as we are blaming others, we are not truly accountable. We're not. We need to do the deep work. I've mentioned this term many times. It's not like I came up with the term. But we need to do the deep work. We need to go to therapy. We need to journal. We need to talk to people who know us and break down the reasons why we turn to food or alcohol or whatever it is to numb whatever pain we have based on whatever trauma that we have. And everybody's trauma is different. But you got to do the deep work. If you don't do the deep work, you're going to be just walking blithely through life always blaming others, always rationalizing, or even if if you're like a low IQ person, you're not even making these connections. You're just drinking your four liters of soda all all day. And then, and this is the other thing I tell the students, it's not like there's a disease fairy that comes at 70 and sprinkles a particular disease dust on you and then you just happen to get it. Most of the killers in America are lifestyle choices. So when I get diabetes... Because I might get it because I abused my body for 30 years even after I lost my weight. If I get diabetes or heart disease or cancer, I only have myself to blame. Now, yes, were there factors that predisposed me to turning to food, to binge eat, to numb the pain? Yes. Alcoholic, rageaholic father, distant mother who was always on depressants, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, does it really matter? It doesn't really matter because we fall back on these things, these cliches to elicit sympathy in ourselves or in other people. But and ultimately, it doesn't matter. It's still your body. It's still your body. So if you're eating sheetrock, not working out, drinking soda, drinking alcohol, and lo and behold, you get cirrhosis, fatty liver disease, heart attack, stroke, diabetes, you get cancer at 52 or whatever. Look, it's hard. It's hard to do this. But you got to look in the mirror. And say, I brought this on to myself. I caused this by my abusing of my body. Now, were there factors that could predispose you maybe to do it? Yes. But who cares? It doesn't matter. You're still abusing your body. It's very hard for people to do that. Look in the mirror. Oh, I got cancer at 55. I'm going to die of stage 4 cancer. Yeah, I caused it. But look, by admitting it, it's it's incredible self-growth that you're going to have. And you're not blaming everybody. Okay? Don't blame anybody. You got to be you got to go from being uh abused to a, a a survivor to a thriver. You know, there's no point in being the victim mentality all the time. If you don't like your status in your life, do something about it. If I don't like teaching cuz it pays crap, Gregory, do something about it. 
which I'm trying to through the podcast and the website. But we got to do something about it. If we don't like the fact that we're in crap, codependent, abusive relationships, go to therapy, break up with the person you're with, do something about it. But it's human nature, I think, just to sit back and be like, oh, this is my lot in life. I'm just going to suck it up. You know, the martyr syndrome, right? I'm just going to just be a martyr and be miserable. Then, okay, you only have yourself to blame if you hate your life. If you don't want to fix yourself, you only have yourself to blame. This is a very hard mindset for many people to have. And I understand completely if you're angry by what I'm saying. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I think this is what everybody really needs to hear. Take accountability. Take accountability. Take accountability. We have to take accountability. Everything we put in our mouth, we are putting in our mouth. If you know it's because of dysfunctional childhood, take that step back. When you're about to binge eat, be like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Journal it. Talk it out with somebody. Talk it out. Just say, you know, in the long run, this isn't going to help me. This is only going to hurt me to do this. Oh, go go do something. Go do push-ups. Do, you know, go chew gum. Go go do some other behavior. Try to redirect yourself. But definitely go to therapy. Go to cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT treatment is is the best treatment for this kind of stuff. Not, not uh, psychoanalysis, Freudian crap, where you're just going to therapy four times a week talking about what your mother and father did to you. That's just a money grabbing scheme that these these therapists do cognitive behavioral therapy is the best when you have binge eating and addictions let's finish up I do want to mention that my 28th anniversary of my weight loss has just passed. It was May 4th. I I marked the loss of my weight on May 4th, 1991, uh, because it was, I remember, I went to a Catholic school and and there was a ceremony called the Junior Cross and Ring Ceremony, where the juniors got their cross and their ring, and they essentially became seniors. It was at the end of the, the junior year. And for you guys who didn't who didn't listen to the episode, I think it's episode twenty. How I lost my weight. I lost my weight pretty fast. I lost it in about six seven months. If you want the specifics of that, go to that episode. And if you want the specifics of how I've maintained my weight, go to the uh, the article blog. How I lost my weight and kept it off hundred years and or hundred hundred pounds for twenty five plus years. So yes, this is my anniversary. If you listen to past episodes, I think the one I did two years ago was kind of a, a, a downer. I did an anniversary episode, a really short one. I noticed the 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 farther I get, twenty eight years, just it's, it's amazing. Look, I'm not uh, like an egoist, uh, narcissist. Like it's an amazing accomplishment. But look, if you step back, if it was somebody that you didn't know who said that it was an amazing accomplishment, you would probably say it is. We know that something like 5% of people keep their weight off permanently. You've lost more than 50 pounds. Go to that episode I did on Weight Watchers. I have two episodes on how Weight Watchers scams people. And their business model is to make you lose the weight and then gain it back because then you'll come back. But uh, it is impressive. 28 years. 28 years. 28 years. I mean, Jesus, that's like my students plus 10. It it is impressive, and I've had there's certainly ups and downs, and I but I've developed a lot of tools and biohacks and coping mechanisms to have allowed me to keep it off this long. Now, will I keep off my weight uh, for 30, 35, 40 years? I don't know. 
I don't know. You know, I could get in a car accident today and not be able to walk. And then I could go back to my old eating issues. And since I won't be ambulatory, I wouldn't be able to exercise. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. There's really no point in thinking about that. All I know is I reached another milestone and I should take some pride in that. And it it allowed me to live a life that I wouldn't have lived. And and again, you know, I, I, I didn't think when I was at the apex of my weight, size 58 waist, when I was 15, I never thought I'd kiss a girl, never thought I had sex, and because I lost the weight, I was able to have sexual relations and and date women that would certainly have been out of my league had I not lost my weight. And of course, some of you are going to be like, oh, that's just, oh, you're saying that fat people can't find love? I didn't say that, but certainly if you're honest with yourself, and this episode's all about being honest with yourself, your dating pool is certainly limited if you are overweight, for sure. I mean, let's be honest, guys, be honest. So the fact that I was able to lose my weight allowed me to tap into a, a, a dating and, and ultimately a genetic pool uh, with women that I certainly wouldn't have gotten. Of course, I, I would always bring this up to the women that, that I've, I've dated or married. And I'd be like, you know, if I was if you met me when I was fat, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have gotten with me. And they're like, oh, that's not true. It's like, please. Come on. Did you want to sprinkle baby powder all around my ass because I couldn't do it when I was 16 years old because I was so fat and I had to get all these horrible rashes and so my mom had to sprinkle baby powder? You want to do that to a 28-year-old morbidly obese guy? No, you probably wouldn't have. You've been repulsed by my fat rolls and my smell. and Just, like, just be honest. Just be honest. But certainly losing the weight did open up things. So I am proud of myself, and we'll see what what the future brings. You know, who knows? Who knows? We could all be dead. You know, five G's unrolling this year. That that kind of EMF Wi Fi crap could just zap all our brains. We're all just gonna just get cancer immediately. Who knows? Who knows? So I do have a new episode where I interview uh, a a guy. Uh, we interviewed Heather and uh, Karen. Oh my God, I can't remember. Deborah. Yeah, sorry, Heather and Deborah. We have our first mail interview. I'm going to release this in early June. So you expect a confessions episode monthly. That That's kind of going to be the the role. And as, as usual, I posted on both Confessions of an Obese Child podcast feed and on Holistic Health News for about a week. And go back, guys, and listen to the confessions. If you are new to it, if you if you like my Holistic Health News podcast, if you just get something out of, of, of my history, my unique backstory, or you like my voice or whatever, go back to those episodes because you will get something out of it, especially if any of you are dealing with addictions of any sort. Confessions of an obese child isn't really necessarily fat-specific or eating eating disorder-specific. A lot of the principles I talk about are for all addictions, and let's face it, most humans, we have some sort of predilection toward some vice. We do have an addiction. So go check out those episodes. As always, hit the subscribe button. It means a lot to me. It helps with my, my rankings. And as always, post a review for Confessions of an Obese Child, Katie's Essential Apothecary, and Holistic Health News. Until next time, take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.